There's a book by a man called named S.D. Gordon, and the book is called Quiet Talks on Prayer. And uh, if you've never read it before, it's uh, a really, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best books on prayer that uh, that I've ever read, honestly. It's really, really good. And um, in the book, there's a chapter where he talks about D.L. Moody. Um, I know that most of us have heard the name D.L. Moody, but some of us don't uh, maybe may not know who he was or what he did. Anyway, uh, he was an evangelist uh, greatly used by God in America, uh, I think in the early 1900s. And uh, um, he, 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 led a, he led revival meetings essentially and, and thousands of people were saved under his ministry. And uh, I just wanted to read this chapter from this book, and it's called The How of Method. And uh, this is kind of long, so just kind of bear with me. But it says, one of the most remarkable illustrations in recent times <clears throat> of the power of prayer. And I think this book was written in 1930-something. I'm not sure. Um, one of the most remarkable illustrations in recent times of the power of prayer may be found in the experience of Mr. Moody. It explains his unparalleled career of worldwide soul winning. One marvels that more has not been said of it. Its stimulus to faith is great. I suppose the man must, uh, the man most concerned did not speak of it much because of his fine modesty. The last year of his life he referred to it more frequently as though impelled to. The last time I heard Mr. Moody was in his own church in Chicago. It was, I think, in the fall of the last year of his life. One morning in the old church, made famous by his early work, in a quiet, conversational way, he told the story. It was back in the early 70s when Chicago had been laid in ashes. And I don't know if you've read your history or whatever, but uh, uh, in the, I think, late 1800s, I'm, I'm not good with dates, but uh, uh, pretty much at least half of Chicago burned down. Um, as a great fire almost destroyed the whole city but anyhow it was back in the early 70s when chicago had been laid in ashes this building was not yet uh up far enough to do much in in other words moody was building a church but it had not been completed so i thought i would slip across the water and learn what i could from preachers there so as to do better work here i had gone over to london and was running around after men there then he told of going one evening to hear Mr. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and understanding that he was to speak a second time that evening to dedicate a chapel, Mr. Moody had slipped out of the building and, and had run along the street after Mr. Spurgeon's carriage a mile or so, so as to hear him speak the second time. Then he smiled and said quietly, I was running around <clears throat> after men like that. In other words, he was chasing after men instead of essentially doing what God had called him to, to do, which was God had called him to preach. He had not been speaking anywhere, he said, but listening to others. One day, Saturday at noon, he had gone into the meetings in Exeter Hall on the Strand, felt impelled to speak a little when the meeting was thrown open and did so. So I guess... Basically, the, it was almost like an open, night, uh, open mic type situation where they allowed anyone who, who wanted to to be able to speak. 
Uh, he said he felt in, impelled to speak a little when the meeting was thrown open and did so. At the close, among others who greeted him, one man, a minister, asked him to come and preach for him the next day, morning and night, and he said he would. Mr. Moody said, I went to the morning service and found a large church full of people, and when the time came, I came, I began to speak to them, but it seemed the hardest talking ever I did. There was no response in their faces. They seemed as though carved out of stone or ice. And I was having a hard time and wished I wasn't there. In other words, he's trying to preach and it's just, it, it's just, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but he's trying to preach or, you know, you try to witness or you try to do whatever in the name of the Lord. And it just feels dead and lifeless. It says, um, um, He says, I went to the morning service and found a large church full of people, and when the time came, I began to speak to them, but it seemed the hardest talking ever I did. There were no responses in their faces. They seemed as though carved out of stone or ice, and I was having a hard time and wished I wasn't there and wished I hadn't promised to speak again that night, but I had promised, and so I went. At night, it was the same thing, house full, people outwardly respectful, but no interest, no response. And I was again having a hard time. When about halfway through my talk, there came a change. It seemed as though the windows of heaven had opened and a bit of breath blew down. The atmosphere of the building seemed to change. The people's faces changed. It impressed me so that when I finished speaking, I gave the invitations for those who wanted to be Christians to rise. I thought there might be a few. And to my immense surprise, the people got up in groups, pewfuls. I turned to the minister and said, what does this mean? And he said, I don't know, I'm sure. Well, Mr. Moody said, they, they misunderstood me. I'll explain what I meant. I mean, think of the, this is kind of actually a little comical. And it's, you know, if you think about it, I mean, here, Moody's uh, preaching in the morning and then just, it's like, talking to the rocks you know it's just you know it's dead it's lifeless he he feels he has no power the people aren't receiving it and he's like he he's wondering why he's even there and he's you know doesn't want to be there and now like he he goes at night and there's a change and he gives an uh essentially an altar call and half the people stand up and you know it to his surprise you know um <clears throat> Well, Mr. Moody said, they misunderstood me. I'll explain what I meant. So he thinks that they misunderstood him. Maybe, you know, he'll, you know, language barrier. Who knows? So he announced an after meeting in the room below explaining explaining who were invited. Only those who wanted be, to be Christians. And putting pretty clearly what he understood that to mean, he dismissed the service. They went to the lower room, and the people were crowding, jamming in below, filling all available space, seats, aisles, and standing room. Mr. Moody talked again a few minutes and then asked those who would be Christians to rise. This time he knew he had made his meaning clear. They got up in clumps in groups by fifties. Mr. Moody said, I turned and said to the minister, what does this mean? And he said, I'm sure I don't know. Then the minister said to Mr. Moody, what, what am I going to do with these people? I don't know what to do with them. This is something new. This is something like, I, I mean, this is awesome if you think about it. I mean, 
I don't know, again, if you, to what degree that you've ministered or if you've ministered or maybe just, like I say, witnessing to somebody about Jesus or something. But sometimes, you know, when the Spirit comes and you're ministering and all of a sudden, you know, people, fish are wanting to jump into the boat. You know, uh, a lot of times we get discouraged because so many times we're trying to uh, beg people to come to Jesus, or we're trying to coerce them to come to come to Jesus. We'll give you a toaster, you know, or a brand new car, or, you know, or, or He's going to bless you and make you happy and give you a wife or a husband or a dog or you know whatever and stuff. And we we try to entice people to come to Jesus. And, you know, you see that even in advertising circles, the reason why they're doing that is because they're desperate, right? Um, and, uh, you know, how surprising it is, you know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves and again, it's like the fish are jumping into the boat. You know, it's like when Peter and John and those guys, they fished all night and didn't catch anything. And then Jesus comes to him and says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, uh okay so we're professional professional fishermen we don't even know who you are and you're telling us to cast our net on the other side of the boats and we should just trust you and so anyway after kind of debating among themselves and doubting i'm sure they cast the nets in and the nets it talks about how the nets became so full that it almost sunk their boat so so i just i, I just find this really amazing and awesome um so again, the pre the the pastor says, um, "What am, what will I do with these people? I don't know what to do with them. This is something new." And Moody says to him, "Well, I denounce a meeting for tomorrow night and Tuesday night and see what comes of it." And Moody says, "I'm going across the channel to Dublin," and he went, but he had barely stepped off the boat when a cablegram was handed him from the minister saying, "Come back at once. Church packed." This is awesome. <laughs> So he went back and stayed 10 days, and the result of that 10 days, as I recall Mr. Moody's words, was that 400 people were added to that church, and that every church nearby felt the impulse of those 10 days. Then Mr. Moody dropped his head as though thinking back and said, I had no plans beyond this church, the church that he was building. See, before this time, he wasn't an evangelist, per se. Before this time, he was just a pastor of a church. And he was actually fairly well known. But um, he didn't see the results of of the ministry that he had up until this point. After, after this point, instead of focusing on being a pastor of a church in Chicago, he begins to go out throughout the whole world and, and share the gospel, and multitudes of people were brought to Christ, and this same uh, anointing just followed him wherever he went to where just thousands of people became Christians. Um he said, I had no plans beyond this church. I suppose my life work was here. But the result with me was that I was given a roving commission, in other words, going out throughout the world, and have been working under it ever since. Now, what was the explanation of that marvelous Sunday and days following? It was not Mr. Moody's doing, though he was a leader whom God could and did use, uh, use mightily. It was not the minister's doing, for he was as greatly surprised as the leader. There was some secret, secret hidden beneath the surf, some secret hidden beneath the surface of those ten days, 
With his usual keenness, Mr. Moody set himself to, to ferret it out. In other words, he, he uh, set himself to find out what was the cause of it. By and by, this incident came to him. A member of the church, a woman, had been taken sick some time before. Then she grew worse. Then the physician told her that she would not recover. That is, she would not die at once, so far as he could judge, but she would be shut in her home for years. And she lay there trying to think what that meant, to be shut in for years. And she thought of her life, and she said, How little I've done for God. Practically nothing. And now what can I do in here on my back? And she said, I can pray. In other words, so she became an invalid, right? She became homebound. She couldn't go anywhere, do anything. Um, who knows how much time she had to live. But she, instead of feeling sorry for herself, instead of um, blaming God, instead of getting angry at God, you know, instead of going, well, there's nothing I can do. I might as well just die. She said, you know what? I haven't done a lot in my Christian walk for God, but there is one thing that I can do in this place where I'm at, and that is that I can pray. And, and there's a great lesson in this because uh, so many times when ad adversity comes into our lives, and believe me, adversity will come into your lives. Please don't believe this this fake gospel, this fake um, teaching in the church that, you know, you come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything, you know, and, and there is that. Jesus is with us and the Holy Spirit is with us and we have peace in the storm and, and he walks with us and he talks with us and it is great and it's awesome in so many ways, but it's not going to preclude, it's not going, he is not going to, um, stop bad things from happening in our lives because we live in a fallen world we live in a world where where things happen you know and and the problem is is that every time something happens we're like why why god would you allow this to happen well <laughs> jesus promised that in this life we would have tribulation and again it's a very big problem in the church if you go to a church where the pastor's telling you that uh you're not going to have any problems and uh, and not only that it's worse in a lot of places because in a lot of places if you're having problems they're like well there must be some kind of sin in your life right and sometimes there is but sometimes there's not it's like the guy that that uh was born blind and the jews came to jesus and said who sinned this man or his parents and Jesus said to them, neither, but this is for the glory of God. And so, again, it, it's in the minds and the thinking of a lot of people and a lot of religious people sometimes will even, like, you get sick or something bad happens in your life and they just automatically think that you're you're in sin or, or something's wrong with your life or something's wrong with your walk with God. That's not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's because of the fact that you're walking with God, because of the fact that you're devoted to him, that hell is coming against you. Because Satan doesn't want you fighting against his kingdom. 
Satan is ruthless. Satan is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he doesn't care about lost people because they're already his possession. He doesn't care about what they do. He doesn't care about them getting drunk, having abortions, whatever they do. He doesn't care about them murdering each other. I mean, I mean, he enjoys it, but he, that's not where his focus is. His focus is on blinding the eyes of people that are trying to follow the Lord. His focus is trying to discourage you and try to get you to quit following Jesus and say, you know, this isn't just, this isn't worth it because there's so much pain. There's so much, and I wasn't prepared for this. No one ever told me. I'm telling you right now. Sometimes the closer you are to God, the more obstacles, the more tribulation, the more hell breaks out in your life. Because now you have an enemy, the enemy of God, who's going to come after you because you're serving the Most High. But that's okay, because great is your reward. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured everything that the cross entailed. The beatings, the cursings, the spitting upon him, the ripping out chunks of his beard, the crown of thorns, and the shame of the cross. Because he knew that something greater than all of that waited for him. Let's continue on. Um, so it says, by and by, this incident came to him. A member of the church that he had preached in. A woman had been taken sick some time before. Then, Oh, we already read this part. Well... We'll just read it again. She grew worse. Then the physician told her that she would not recover. You're going to die. Says that is she would not die at once as far as he could judge, but she would be shut in her home for years. And she lay there trying to think what that meant to be shut in for years. And she thought of her life and said, how little I've done for God, practically nothing. And now what can I do? What can I do shut in here on my back? And she said, I can pray says, may I put these, he said, continuing on with the story, he says, may I put this word in here as a parenthesis in the story, that God oftentimes allows us to be shut in. He does not shut us in. He does not need to uh, simply take his hand off partly. There's enough disobedience to his law. All of our, uh, all, to his law of our bodies all the time to shut us aside. No trouble on this other the problem. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to skip ahead of this. Basically, he says he allows us to be shut in because only that way he can get our attention from other things to what he wants done. And that's the thing. is like sometimes, again, God does allow things to happen in our lives. But if he does do it, it's through a loving hand, okay? It's not because he hates us. It's not because he wants to destroy us. And even in his discipline, he disciplines us for our good. And he disciplines us as a loving father does. And so what he's saying is that sometimes God shuts us in. Sometimes he does things to get our attention, right? Because again, how many times do sometimes, you know, our prayer life slacks and we we're not spending time in the in his his uh, word. We're not spending time in prayer. We're not speaking spending time seeking him. Or if we are, it's become cold. 
And it's just become formula, right? And sometimes God does allow things into our lives to get us focused back on Him, right? Because, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a natural thing that when all hell breaks through in our lives and, and things aren't going well and I'm fighting with my wife and my kids are mad at me and my kids hate me, things aren't going well on my workplace or my health is bad or whatever it is, then we begin to seek earnestly God, don't we? Sometimes we just go through the motions and, and we're just doing our religious thing, we're doing our church thing, we're doing our Christian thing because that's what we're supposed to do. But then when things go south on us, then we really start to seek the Lord. And then we start to get serious with it and stop playing around. And sometimes it's unfortunate, right? God shouldn't have to do that to us to get our attention. But unfortunately, because of our lack, before, because of our coldness, and because our, of our uh, lack of desire for the things of God, sometimes he has to do things like that or to allow things like that to to focus get us to focus back on him so she says i will pray and she was led to pray for her church her church her sister also a member of the church lived with her and was her link with the outer world sundays after church service the sick woman would say any special interest in church today no was the constant reply wednesday nights after prayer meetings any special interest in the service tonight there must have been no, nothing new. Same old deacons made the same old prayers. But one Sunday noon, the sister came in from service and asked, Who do you think preached today? I don't know. Who? She said, A stranger from America, a man called Moody, I think was the name. And the sick woman's face turned a bit wider, and her eye looked half scared, and her lip trembled a bit, and she quietly said, I know what that means. There's something coming to the old church. Don't bring me any, din any dinner. I must spend this afternoon in prayer. And so she did. And that night in the service, that startling change came. So in other words, that change came when the woman was praying. Then to Mr. Moody himself, as he sought her out in the back in the sick room, she told how nearly two years before there had come into her hands a copy of a paper published in Chicago called The Watchman that contained a talk by Mr. Moody in one of the Chicago meetings. So in other words, she's saying that two years before this incident, she received some newspaper somehow that, uh, that contained an article um, by, by Moody. All she knew was that that talk had made her heartburn and there was the name Moody and she was led to pray that God would send that man into her church in London. As, as simple a prayer as that. And the months went by, and a year and over, still she prayed. Nobody knew of it but herself and God. No change seemed to come. Still she prayed. And of course, and of course her prayer wrought its purpose. Every spirit suggested prayer does, and that's the touchstone of true prayer. And the Spirit of God moved that man of God over to the seaboard to, and across the water and into London and into her church. So, I just wanted to read this to you because um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but this really encourages me. Um, 
and again we you know he he talked we read that sentence about how you know the sister would come home after the Wednesday prayer meeting and you know how was the prayer meeting you know same dead deacons same dead prayers and stuff and uh, in our churches today we don't even have prayer meetings because that's how little we view prayer um, prayer is just a religious thing prayer is not that important and uh, you know it doesn't really do anything anyway so why pray and to the very core of my being this is why I believe that the state of the church is, is, is in the condition that it is in today Jesus said my house will be called a house of prayer and his house today is a house of worship. You know, so many churches, they worship, worship. Their whole focus is on worship, 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 worship. The latest Hill song, the latest Bethel songs, you know. And, and uh, you know, you got to have the fog machines and, and the, you know, the best skilled musicians. And, you know, and you, you go to a lot of those and you, you're wondering, where's, where's the anointing? Where's the Spirit of God? Is this true worship or is this glorification of man? Or some churches uh, have become about entertainment. You know, the pastor is, uh, you know, uh, like a talk show host and he's cracking jokes and wisecracks and it's all about feel good and it's all about, you know, messages about, you know, Jesus is here for you and he's here to bless you and, uh, you know, to give you everything you want. He's like, uh, you know, he's like uh, the Santa Claus. It's, uh, you just uh, put in your list and, you know, he'll check it twice and he's going to give you everything you want. Jesus said, my church, my house, will be a house of prayer. I was reading a, a story about a man named John Fletcher who was, uh, who was a contemporary with John Wesley back in the 1700s. And uh, he, was, he, was one, he was, it was in his process of coming to the Lord. And he started asking people, well, what about these Methodist people? You know, because John Wesley was a Methodist and, and Fletcher had heard about him. And uh, the lady told him, oh, that's, that's those weird people. All they, do is wanna, all they wanna do is just pray all the time. <laughs> um, Wesley saw great revival. And uh, England was in a shambles at this time people hated the monarchy people there were uh, sin was rampant uh, murder vice prostitution every sin you can think of uh, it was just terrible and the french revolution had happened um before this time and there's a lot of experts that say that had the revivals under wesley and whitfield and people like like that had they not come along at this time that there would have been the, the same a similar sort of revolution in england um which by similar i mean bloody and people dying and just absolute chaos and so god used these people that all they wanted to do was pray and seek the lord he used them to change the tide of their nation and what we need, what we need more than anything in the body of Christ right now is people who will pray. And I don't mean just say prayers 
you know, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep, and, and we have our 30-second prayer. But I mean people who wait, will lay themselves out in prayer for a nation, for a generation, for a people that are lost. And it doesn't matter what your situation is. And, and some of you out there may be thinking, you know what? I don't know what my calling is, you know, because we all have a calling. And I, I've talked to many people who don't know what they're called to do, who don't know what, what God's will is for their life. Well, I can tell you this. It is God's will that you pray. All of us want to minister in some way, right? We want to be used by the Lord and stuff. And if you don't know what else you can do, <clears throat> if you're not someone that can preach or if you're not someone that can do whatever, if you're not someone that can prophesy, if you're not someone that can, um, you know, minister in some sort of way, one thing you can do is pray. The greatest ministry in the body of Christ is prayer, bar none. Um, preaching, prophesying, <clears throat> excuse me, leading worship, all those things are the visible gifts. But the most powerful gifts and the gifts that are most precious to God are people who will go into their prayer closet without blowing a trumpet, without telling everybody, look, I'm praying, look at me. But people who are known by God in the quiet place, in the place where no one else can see them. When Charles Finney was doing, uh, was holding his revivals and hundreds of thousands of people came to the Lord, a lot of times there was, there was a man named Father Nash. He would go into the town where Finney was going to go like a week before Finney would go and stay like a week after Finney would stay or, or after Finney would leave. And people wouldn't even see him hardly. Once or twice they might come out, but a lot of times they would rent a, a basement or a room and they would spend the, the time fasting and praying before God. And so, and, and thousands, again, thousands of people were saved in those meetings. And we wonder why in our day and age, like it, it doesn't take a great wise person to realize there's something terribly, terribly wrong with our society. And as believers, we, we, we curse the problems and we throw sticks at it and stones at it. And we're, we're like, we have meetings. Why is it like this? Why, why are all these things happening? And, and we have church growth meetings and conferences and, and conferences to get people in the door and, and evangelism meetings and things like that. But we're putting the cart before the horse and we're not praying. We're not fasting. We're not seeking the Lord. And I can tell you, without that, nothing will happen. And that's why we have the situation in our churches now. We spend millions of dollars on conferences and, and millions of dollars on entertainment and millions of dollars on Super Bowl parties and, and how to get people into the churches and, and, and things like that. And we have meetings and conferences and, and, and things. And it's not getting better. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. People are leaving the churches in droves. And the people that come to our churches, 
you know, they, they party all week and come to Jesus on the weekend, you know. And there's so little life of God in the churches. So little of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And we wonder why. And it's because we are not spending time in the secret place with the Lord. We have no anointing. We have no ability. I mean, all, all the mechanics are still there. Your, our preachers preach great messages. You know, uh, but people aren't coming to the Lord. And people aren't being saved. And you can see it in the broader view when you look at our society. Um, it's We are not reaching this generation. And it's because we're not praying. And if we want to reach this generation, it's going to, it will only happen as believers begin to get on their knees. They begin to seek God. And to begin to cry out to him. And so <clears throat> I just want to encourage you if if you if you are in this place, I, I know there's a lot of people with COVID, the the long COVID that aren't able to work and aren't able to go back to their jobs and things and they're still laid up. And one thing you can do is you can pray. You can seek the Lord. And again, if if you don't know what God has called you to, you don't know, you know if you're supposed to be a preacher, evangelist, prophet, whatever, you don't know what, what God's calling is on your life, one thing you can do is pray. All of us, every believer is called to prayer. Actually, you know, we're called to prayer before we're called to ministry. Because again, if you're ministering in your own strength, in your own power, and not in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have any results anyway. Not any lasting results anyway. Okay, so anyway, just thought I'd share this with you guys. Um, I hope it's been a blessing. I hope it's useful to you. Okay, um, let, let me restate that. I don't, I hope God uses it to put on somebody's heart that this is not just some ranting or raving, not just somebody just spouting off things, but this is what, the Holy Spirit is desiring. He is desiring a church of people who pray, people who, who seek God with all their hearts. Amen? Amen.